I think when we expect to have an answer to the why question, we shackle ourselves to frustration. When we expect to find a clear response to the reason why, we keep ourselves chained. There's, there's freedom in letting go of that, uh, that constant uh, urge to ask why. Uh, I don't know. And I, I don't expect to know on this, uh, on, on this earth. Welcome to the Outperform Podcast. My name is Scott Welly. I'm an author, speaker, and the founder of Outperform the Norm, a global movement that helps people achieve peak performance in their personal and professional lives. I've spent my life working with top performers in business as well as athletics, and each week it's my aim and mission to bring you an inspiring person to share their personal stories and insights, or perhaps it'll be a personal message from me, but with one very simple goal in mind, to help you outperform. Your time is precious, and I want to thank you for spending with me here today. But just one small ask before we get started. If you find value from this podcast, the greatest way that you could possibly thank me would be to head on over to iTunes or whatever your favorite podcast platform happens to be and give it a five-star review. Also share it with somebody that you know that you would like to help outperform so we can all grow this movement together and strive to make the world a healthier, happier, higher performing place. Once again, thank you for being here. And without further ado, let's get started. Jason Welly, welcome to the Outperform Podcast. How are you? Thanks, Scott. I'm doing just fine. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Before we get into anything else, I have to ask you the question that I force all of my podcast guests to answer. When you hear the word outperform, what does that mean to you and how do you define outperforming in your life? Well, Scott, (laughs) I I have the advantage of having read the draft of your book before it hit the shelves. (laughs) um, No, for for me, I suppose, uh, outperforming is we all have um, a certain vision of what we plan to accomplish today or this week or this month or uh, or in our lives. And uh, and when I think about uh, outperforming, it's a, it's a way of trying to to raise that uh, raise that bar. Is that how can I bring myself to the point where I'm doing more of or I'm doing better the things that uh, that I already foresaw. You know, uh, for for me, out uh, outperforming is uh, is having that is taking a measure of that expectation you had for uh, for yourself and then adjusting it, adjusting it up. Mm, I like that. So for all of you listening out there, if you haven't realized it already, uh, Jason and I do share the last same last name. He is my older, wiser, maybe not quite as good looking brother um, that happens to live in Rome, Italy. And I wanted to bring him on as just kind of an impromptu podcast because 
not only does he live in, I think, what was the epicenter of, of the coronavirus, and normally I would never name the date that I'm actually recording a podcast, but this is being recorded on April 2nd, so we're really kind of still in the heart of everything going on. And I thought it'd be interesting for him to share not only his perspective just on what it's like being in Italy, but the other part of it as well is that he's, he's a Franciscan friar, and he's the director of uh, studies at PSI, which stands for the Pontifical Institute for the Study of Arabic and Islam. And I thought he would be able to give a very interesting just look at what's going on in our society and in our world these days. And I guess that's the first question that I'll really launch into is, you know, I think so many people out there, when we're going through tough times, look to people in religious positions for answers, maybe for clarity, um, to help them process what's going on. What advice or what thoughts do you have or how are you making sense of just everything going on, not only in Italy, but in the world um, that's really been turned upside down in the last month or so? Well, I would say, say this first. Um, God did not cause the coronavirus. God, God is, did not send us this scourge to, to punish us. Um, I, I think oftentimes when we face tragedy, the first, you know, whether it's the loss of, of a loved one, you know, someone in my family, or whether it's a, whether it's a larger scale tragedy like this one, um, <clears throat> people automatically jump to the assumption that there's some cause effect reaction. You know, I must have sinned. Therefore God responded in this way, or we made this, uh, we made this mistake. Therefore, uh, therefore bad things, uh, bad things happened. And I mean, I, I look at a, at a tragedy like, like this and, um, and the first thing I, I have to say is I, I don't perceive God as the cause of it. Um, we we have to we have to look to the Lord for for strength and support and guidance, but uh, but not as not as the cause. So that's that's the first thing I would say, and I think this is something that that Pope Francis really uh, re really hit when he was speaking in St. Peter's Square last last Friday. He said that uh, a lot of people feel like the the Lord doesn't care about us anymore. You know, Jesus's disciples looked at uh, looked at him when they were in a boat in a storm, and they said, "You know, don't you see that we are perishing? Don't you? Uh, uh, d doesn't our suffering matter to you?" And, uh, and my my response as a as a religious person is, "Yes, our suffering matters a matter, matters a great deal to the Lord. The Lord is uh, is is with us, accompanying us." <clears throat> walking, uh, walking with us, helping us to to deal with it, but uh, but he did not foist it uh, upon us. Um, the the second thing I think, and this is really unique to the to the current crisis, the, the coronavirus is the frustration of the fact that we are all physically isolated. You know, many people in a in, in a moment of, of personal crisis do turn to religion. They do turn to prayer. They turn to their priest. They turn to the pastor. <clears throat> you know, some um, something else. Um, but unfortunately, you know, I can't go sit in the church and welcome people and talk to them. 
Um, I can't go to visit someone's home, who, who's someone who's grieving a, grieving a loss, and, uh, and, and speak to her. You know, we're, we're all spending a lot of time on our phones these days, and a lot of times texting and, and, uh, and, and things like that. But the, as a minister, the, the particular frustration of, uh, of this moment is that we want to be present to people, and we can't. It's against the law, and it would it places public uh, public health in, in danger. So for for me, that's what uh, what really doubles the tragedy of the present uh, present moment. It's not it's not just the sickness and the the loss of life, but it's the it's the distance from uh, from, from each other. And I think um, you know f- faith is something that should lead people to come together, and un- unfortunately, right now we we can't do that in the way that we instinctively want to. So how have you been dealing, uh, I guess, not only personally, but professionally, so to speak, with that isolation? Because I remember when you told me that that was kind of the, I felt like bombshell just because it was a couple years ago when I was in Rome. And I almost think that you have to have gone there to appreciate just how many churches are actually in Rome. And I remember you saying to me, all of the churches are going to be closed. And it was just, that was before everything really kind of turned upside down here in the U.S. And that was just unfathomable to me. But how have you been dealing with that isolation, not only professionally with everything being closed and you can't see people, but also personally, how have you dealt with that isolation? I can deal with the personal piece first. I mean, I, as a Franciscan friar, I live in a community with other friars, and it is always our, our habit to, to pray together as a community. Um, normally, our, our way of life is that we celebrate morning prayer and evening prayer together, as well as Mass every day. So that's two prayers plus Mass. Um, now that we're all unemployed, <laughs> the church is closed, and we and we don't have anything to do. We we've raised that. We've been um, we've been praying the entire divine office together every day. So that's five times a five times a day plus mass plus additional meditation and in common. So. I mean, with my friar brothers, you know, since since we've been locked up at, at home, we've been spending at least two hours a day in common, in prayer together, um, you know, in addition to whatever each of us does, uh, does personally. And I, I have to say that uh, I find that a, a great source of strength for, for me. Um, and when, I mean, it gives me a, a perhaps a greater sympathy, a greater compassion for those who don't have a lot of spiritual practice in their life, for the, those who, who don't, haven't been given the gift of faith, for the, those who, who don't really feel like they know how to, to pray or don't feel, feel comfortable with it. Um, you know, that, that leaves a person with a, with a very different struggle with loneliness and, and solitude than I have. I feel like my, my faith has given me a great, great gift in, in, in dealing with this. Um, you know, <clears throat> professionally, with, with regard to, to our ministry, we spend a lot of time uh, texting people in the, in the parish, and I text people all around the world, you know, to find out you know, how, you're, how, how you're doing, how you're, how you're getting by. Um, the, you know, in, in Italy, you, could, you can imagine it's easy to watch Mass on television. There are multiple Catholic channels, and since this crisis began, the Pope has been broadcasting his daily mass on TV every day, which he never used to never used to do before. So people, you know, they have a lot of opportunities to, you know, to to watch mass or to watch uh, watch religious services. 
but the but the requests we've been getting are you know people people from the parish that say you know when are you going to start live streaming the mass from the parish and we're, we're inclined we say to well our, our our live stream mass it's only four priests sitting around the house just by ourselves it seems like kind of a strange thing to take this small group of, of, of people celebrating uh, celebrating mass together but uh, you know our, our parishioners have have really wanted to have that connection not just with the church broadly speaking but with figures in the church that they know they want to they want to feel close to to, to people that they know so so we've been been trying the the best way we can individually to uh, to reach out to our people from a, for, from a physical distance, just to to remind them that that they are not alone. Well, and I mean, this would have sounded absolutely crazy to probably ask you a month ago, but I think everyone listening to this right now is we all know at some point the dust is going to settle, but we are all wondering what is the new normal going to look like in our world. And how's it going to be different from the old normal that we always had? And I think about, okay, the live streaming of masses and, and things like that. And I even thought about, and I don't know how much you've even considered something like this, but do you ever see a time where there would be like Zoom confessionals or video confessionals? I know that probably sounds so strange, but... Do you envision perhaps offering something like that ever? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, they, I'll, I'll say this. I, I am not active on social media. I am not a tech guy. I don't really, you know, it's not my shtick, not my bag. And, and part, of the, part of the reason is that I generally perceive the relationships formed through some media platforms to be very shallow by, by comparison with the relationships we can form with people by being in their presence. You know, and then this is why physical presence to, to someone has always been, in, in my mind, um, a fundamental piece of, of ministry, a pillar of, uh, of, of ministry. So if we, if we look forward to a world where, you know, where media presence to people, electronic presence to, to people is not some kind of an add-on to my normal relationship with him or with her, but uh, but really that's the foundation of the relationship from which I, I build uh, build something uh, so something else. I haven't I haven't fully started to imagine that uh, that, that yet. Um, I mean, even when when I think about it in in terms of physical relationships. You know, Italians are, are huggy, kissy people. It's it's very common just for a friend of yours, male or female. You you meet that person on the uh, on the street, and you go up and you give them a kiss on uh, on, on both uh, on on both cheeks. And, and you hear politicians here saying now out loud, you know, there will be a day when we can kiss each other again. Because right right now, when you when you see people on the on, on the street. Uh, intentionally maintaining such distances from each other. I mean, for the Italian soul, that is just bizarre. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's really bizarre. Um, so, I don't know. I haven't started to Im imagine the new, uh, the, the new normal yet, but I, I mean, I'll say I, I appreciate much more now than I did a month ago the, the degree to which um, phone calls 
Zoom, um, texting can give people a sense of presence and awareness that uh, that I had not appreciated before. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, it's interesting that you bring up kind of the hugging, the kissing, the Italian way. It's obviously different here in the States, but just last night I went to my first socially distanced neighborhood happy hour where, where we just... You, were, you mean you were drinking by yourself? You were drinking by yourself, weren't you? No, that, that's quarantinis. <laughs> Was anyone else in the room when you were drinking? <laughs> so we all went outside here in the neighborhood and, you know, we did all maintain our social distance and, and the kids are kind of playing around and... Uh, but it is still just weird because you can't walk up. You, you can't stand right next to people. You can't shake their hand. Um, we're all just kind of standing, you know, six to 10 feet apart from each other. And there is that, that longing and kind of that missing of, of closeness, even though it was great to see people aside from just seeing them on a screen. Um, but to, so to come back to, to not only this and kind of what you said before, for people that aren't in a situation like you are, where you, legitimately get to see many friars every single day. Do you have any words of wisdom as far as how they can combat maybe some of the loneliness that they're feeling right now in this moment? Well, I think first try to give time to prayer. And many of us, we feel like when we pray, we, we don't know what to say. We don't know how to, uh, we don't know how to do it. When, uh, when I decide that, uh, that, I'm, that I'm going to, uh, going to pray just a, you know, 30 seconds or one minute in, I get discouraged because I don't know what the heck is, is going on, going on here. Um, we, we need to let some of that auto criticism down. Uh, St. Paul said in the, in the letter to the Romans that none of us knows how to pray as we should, but it's the Holy Spirit that prays in us with sighs too deep for words. So, I mean, my advice to, to someone that wants to pray is just to stop and take three deep breaths. Very slowly, just breathe <laughs> and just be there for a little bit. Take take those deep breaths and then be very honest with God. You know, sometimes in uh, in our our prayer, we have this idea that I should be mouthing pious words and repeating certain pious, uh, pious sentiments. You know, a lot of us right now are very frustrated by our circumstances. We might be very angry with God. We might be disappointed with the world, disappointed with, uh, with ourselves. Um, Prayer should be honest. So start by breathing deeply and then in your own way, um, let out what it is you you have to offer to the Lord. you know, none of us, we, we, we don't need to be monks to, to be able to do that. <laughs> we, we each have the groans with, uh, within us to, uh, to, to do that. Um, I don't suggest that the ordinary person at home alone should uh, should spend two hours a day in prayer. <laughs> if she can, that's great. If he can, uh, if he if he can, that that's great. But to to give at least some meaningful time to it every day, if you do, then that enables your other activities of the day. You know, binge watching things on Netflix <laughs> or whatever <laughs> it is that, that it is you do. It, it gives those other activities some meaning. Uh, 
you know, that I'm not binging this show just to distract myself because I need something to eat up my waking minutes. No, I'm binging the show because it interests me, I, and uh, um, I, I want to. Uh, I want to watch it, and I'm choosing to do this rather than uh, rather than to, to pray right now. The uh, the the activity of of turning to the Lord in, in prayer is something that fuels the meaning in the, in the rest of uh, of our day, and that's how I would encourage people to approach it. Well, thank you for sharing that because it's. I do think that that's a pretty common thing with people. You know, if they're just getting started or, or maybe aren't as strong in their spiritual life or their faith is that they do maybe beat themselves up and feel like, well, I'm not doing it right if I'm praying. And uh, I think for you to actually talk people through how they can get started with that is a really important thing. I'm going to actually circle back to kind of where you started with, which was, you know, God didn't cause this. Um, and then you brought up in your last answer that, you know, there are people that might be frustrated, angry about everything that is happening, fearful. So if God didn't cause this, let's just say that I'm coming in and we're doing a Zoom um, confessional right now. And I, I'm trying to ask you for answers. And I say, Father Jason, then why is this happening? What would you say? I don't expect we're ever going to get a why on this earth. I I can't tell you what the uh, what what the cause of, of this is. I don't pretend to know what the uh, what the cause of, of this is. You know, we're Palm Sunday is this Sunday, and then we go into uh, we go into Holy Week and and we go into Easter. And for me, the story of the Lord's Passion and Death is not a story of explaining the origin of, of suffering you know when we look at uh, we look at Jesus on the uh, on, on the cross you know why why did he have to why did he have to suffer that uh, that way um, and Jesus didn't come to explain or, or to justify or our suffering Jesus came to suffer with us to, to walk with us to accompany to accompany us and to to be with us in the midst of uh, in the midst of, of our suffering, I I think when we expect to have an answer to the why question, we shackle ourselves to frustration. When we expect to find a clear response to the reason why, we keep ourselves chained. Um, there's, there's freedom in letting go of that, uh, that constant uh, urge to ask why. Uh, I don't know. And I, I don't expect to know on this, uh, on, on this earth. But, uh, but I expect, and I hope, and I know <laughs> that, uh, that the Lord is with me in the midst of it. He has promised he, shall, he will never abandon us. So I'm going to let you out of here on this is that part of what, what I truly believe again, not knowing you can only connect the dots going backwards. And I fully agree with you that we're not going to know why and while we're here, but I do firmly believe that as we're going through this, we are learning things about ourselves 
we're learning things about our teams, whether you're in, in business or you could be learning stuff about your, your team of friars, your, your team at PSI. And we're also learning things about our society and our world. What things do you think you are learning, we are learning? What are some of those lessons in your opinion? Yeah, um, you know, this is, this is interesting. Uh, I was reading an article in the New York Times a, a week or more ago about the Spanish flu in 1918. You know, a lot of people talk about the, the flu as the last major global pandemic like this. Uh, the article was focused on the fact that, you know, even though a huge number of Americans died, uh, from the Spanish flu, many more than died in World War I, for, for example. Uh, the Spanish flu never spawned a great amount of literature the way World War I did. It never, sp it, it didn't leave a lasting mark in the national imagination. And the, th the thesis of the article was that perhaps it was that in that moment of, of pandemic, a lot of people, instead of turning to care for their neighbor, instead of turning to, to love their neighbor and to try to help their neighbor, instead they became defensive, they tried to save themselves, and after the pandemic ended, they remembered their egotism, they remembered their selfishness, and they didn't want to write about it, they didn't want to remember it, so they blocked it. <laughs> and thus the, the flu never, never left a, a major mark on, on American culture. I'm not sure if that analysis is, is correct or, or, or not. I'm, I'm not a historian, but what I, what I would suggest is, is this. I, mean, <clears throat> I find the greatest meaning in this when I look at heroic individuals. You know, uh, and in a sense, there's a strong parallel between the, the, the coronavirus and the, and, and the way many people look at the, at the church today, you know, that, the, that the, the church has so many major institutional failings. It's, it's, it's not at all difficult to, to find ways that, uh, um, that the church has, as an institution has gone horribly astray and made big mistakes that, uh, that hurt people. And... Um, but the greatest apology, the greatest defense for the church's faith is the saints that the church has produced, the really holy men and women, the heroes that, uh, that have emerged from reflection on, on who Christ is. So when I look at the, the coronavirus, I think when it's, when it's done, I mean, a, a lot of us will, will probably focus on which government could have done this and, uh, and you know, and if, if, if the Chinese had taken this step five years ago or if Donald Trump had taken this step two months ago or, or if, uh, if, uh, if uh, Conte, the head of, uh, of, of Italy, had taken this step six weeks ago and we play these sorts of institutional games, I think what, what I hope to, to learn from this is that a week ago, when in the north of Italy, they put out a call for 300 doctors to come from the south and, and help in, in the red zone where everyone is infected, they put out a call for 300 doctors, and they had 1,000 people volunteer. Wow. That we, we still live in, in a world where people are capable of that, uh, that self-sacrifice, that, uh, that, that kind of, of, of heroism. And as we, as we move forward, you know, the, 
there are going to be more and more stories of, of, of individuals who, who made difficult and strange choices to, uh, to better those, uh, those, those around them. Um, and those are, those are the things that, uh, that I hope to hold on to and, and from which I, I hope to learn. I know I mean, <laughs> when, when I look at it in, in my Friar community and at the institute where I teach, uh, I'll, I'll say this out loud on a podcast to a bunch of Americans. My colleagues will never hear it. <laughs> so I, I, I'm the director of an institute for Arabic and Islamic studies, and most of our professors are really, really old school people. I mean, they, they work with blackboards and chalk, and they don't know how to email very well. <laughs> and, uh, and all of this, they are not tech savvy at all. And thus, when we realized, like, we're going to have to go online for a while, I, as the director of the institute, just went into full head slap. <laughs> like, we are really screwed. <laughs> because I'm just not going to be able to get these professors on board with any way to, to, to deliver content to our students. Um, and you know, and God, God love them with the, with the right amount of, of encouragement. Even some really old professors of Arabic that are working here in their third language in Italian had to, you know, had to figure out how to use Google Meet or figure out how to use Zoom, and they did it. I mean, and we have no, we have no platform for that. Like I'm making this up as I go along, <laughs> but uh, um, but they. They outperformed. If I can take, take your word, and um, I'm just I'm so grateful to, to God for the uh, for the response of the people I work with, who who took a crisis and are making the best out of it, and are I mean all in all our students are happy, and I think at this point our professors are are pretty proud of themselves. And I have uh, have similar examples in my friar community too. So there there are heroes among us. Uh, there certainly are. I think we're seeing a lot of them here in the States too, and specifically around New York. It's, it's very 9-11-ish where you're just hearing about people really stepping up in, in times of crisis. Uh, and those are the things that I try to consciously pay attention to in the midst of a lot of negative information, quite honestly. Hmm. Any other parting shots or words of wisdom that you would like to leave with the audience? I'll just say say this last last reflection. I mean, the crisis for me, the, the physical presence remains the really difficult piece of the uh, of, of the virus. And I'd like to share one one simple thing about uh, about Saint Francis, if if I could. Um, uh, a turning point in Saint Francis's life was when he embraced the leper. Uh, Francis had always hated lepers. Lepers were on the margins of society. Francis thought they were disgusting. He always tried to keep his distance from them. And, uh, and a, a, a point in his conversion was when he made the decision to go up and embrace this leper, to hug him, I mean, to kiss a, a, a leper, someone who could have given Francis leprosy. Um, I don't know, I suppose for me, the, the, um, the ongoing sticking point in, in this crisis is that our, our Franciscan instinct is that it's, it's humanizing 
to hug someone. You know, it, it lends them it lends them dignity. If you approach someone physically and you show them, I'm not afraid of you. I'm not disgusted by uh, by you. I'm, uh, I'm I'm willing to to draw close to you because uh, because you're a child of God. <laughs> I mean that that is what uh, what ministry. Uh, what what ministry means to us? That's what being a good human in this world um, means uh, means to us. So I mean, for me, uh, for, for me right now, I guess I'm trying to figure out how to how to be a good human in this world while being physically distant from uh, <laughs> from you. And uh, I pray that that Saint Francis will give us uh, give us each in prayer some good some good ideas of, about how to do that. Uh, another great, uh, great Franciscan, uh, Junipero Serra, always has said uh, his, his motto, his parting shot, was always uh, uh, "Sempre adelante," keep going forward, always go forward. And right now, we're moving forward with, without leaving the house <laughs> and, with, and with God's help. <laughs> so. I love it, man. So. Brother, father, Jason. On behalf of the entire Outperforming audience, we want to thank you very much for your time and um, for all of your wisdom as we all try to navigate these unprecedented times. Thank you. Thank you. Blessings to you. And in advance, happy Easter. (laughs) All right. Love you, man. And to everybody out there, uh, keep going forward. Keep moving forward. This too shall pass. And I just want to wish you the best of health, happiness, high performance. Keep out performing. Have a great day. Ciao. Hello, outperformers. Three more quick things before we sign off here today. First and foremost, thank you so much for listening to this episode. I understand how many different podcasts are out there, and I do not take a single second of your time for granted because time is truly our most valuable asset. It is our most precious commodity, and I appreciate you taking that time and you spending it with us here today. Second, if you found value in this podcast, maybe you've noticed, but podcasting has gotten quite popular as of late. And if you would like to help support the Outperforming Movement and the Outperform Podcast, one of the best ways that we can get it found is for you to give it a favorable review and rating on whatever your favorite podcasting platform happens to be. So head on over to iTunes, head on over to Google Play, and give it a favorable review. And while you do that, also share it with someone else that you know that is just like you, is driven by growth and wanting to be the best personally and professionally in every single thing that they do. Number three, if you want even more tools and tips and strategies to be able to be your best personally and professionally, head on over to scottwelly.com. That's S-C-O-T-T-W-E-L-L-E. There are loads of different resources for you on everything from goal setting and grit to resiliency and focus to confidence and motivation and routines and habits and everything that you can possibly imagine to help you be your absolute best every single day, personally and professionally. Once again, if you'd like to access those free resources, head on over to scottwelly.com, S-C-O-T-T-W-E-L-L-E. So as I sign off, thank you again for spending your time with me here today. Keep outperforming and as always, wish you the best of health, happiness, and high performance. Have a great day.